0: If you would turn with me to the book of Psalms this morning. We're not going to be in the Gospel of John. You may have realized that first last week when I wasn't here. And uh, Kurt began a short sermon series that the staff is going to be doing on the Messianic Psalms. I will not be with you for uh, the next few Sundays. And so this one odd Sunday in between, I thought that what I would do is, rather than take you back into John, out of John, back into John, that I would do a psalm myself. This is not, strictly speaking, in that series. It's not a Messianic psalm. But I think it is a psalm that will be helpful to each of us. So if you would turn to Psalm 34 in your Bibles. We're going to read the entirety of this psalm and look at what it has to teach us about how the Lord is the saint's true refuge. If you would please give attention to the reading of God's holy word. For the word of the Lord is completely inerrant. The word of the Lord is completely sufficient. And the word of the Lord is completely authoritative. Psalm 34, beginning at verse 1. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul makes its boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me, and let us exalt His name together. I sought the Lord, and He answered me and delivered me from all my fears. Those who look to Him are radiant, and their faces shall never be ashamed. The poor man, this poor man cried, and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and delivers them. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Oh, fear the Lord, you his saints. Those who fear him have no lack. The young lions suffer want and hunger Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers them out of them all. He keeps all his bones. Not one of them is broken. Affliction will slay the wicked, and those who hate the righteous will be condemned. The Lord redeems the life of his servants. None of those who take refuge in him will be condemned. Thus far the reading of God's holy word. Let's pray for His blessing upon it. Lord, we ask You this morning to attend Your Word. That Your Spirit, O Lord, would speak through it. Be with us, O Lord, as I speak and as we hear. That we would be led to the Lord Jesus Christ. That we would see Him in all of His glory and his finished work, this we ask in Christ's precious name. Amen. How do we face the problems of life? In the last couple of years, we have had at least what may be described as a bit of a hiccup in our lives. There are many things before us that have been difficult to deal with between the pandemic and wars around the globe and inflation and lack and shortages. How do we deal with these challenges? Perhaps even more important, how do we deal with the fears that we have that result from these troubles? Or the sadness that we have as a result of these troubles? What do we do? Should we just pretend that they don't exist? Should we just try to go on with our lives and act as if nothing is really wrong and as if everyone around us is making much ado about nothing? The equivalent of walking in the dark and whistling as if somehow that will make it like it's bright as noonday. Or perhaps we could numb the pain. That could be done through substances or through drink or through food. Or some people even numb the pain of what is around them by pouring themselves into work. Spending all of their time and energy thinking about their job. Or their family. Or their education. Trying to distract themselves from everything that is bringing them trouble. Lastly, I think there are some who just have a vague wish that everything will magically get better at some point. With no real reason as to why that is the case well the psalmist here david teaches us that the proper course in trouble is to trust in the firm reliable expressible and verifiable promises of the lord he's going to teach us that the lord is the saint's true refuge that he is the one that we are to run to and i would like us to see Four things in this psalm this morning. First, in the first three verses, David tells us to praise the Lord. That we are to praise the Lord. And then secondly, in verses 4 through 7, David tells us that we are to testify of the Lord to others. Thirdly, in verses 8 through 14, we are told to trust in the Lord. And then finally... In verses 15 through 22, David reminds us of the promise of the Lord. Praising the Lord, testifying to the Lord, trusting in the Lord, and the promise of the Lord. So as a means for you to remember the outline of this psalm in the future, we have two T's at the end, surrounding two P's in the middle. Let's begin then by looking at David's call to us to praise the Lord. This psalm opens up, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. And the first thing that we know about the praise that we are to give the Lord is its content. We are to bless the Lord. Now this should not come as a surprise to anyone who is familiar with the psalms. This is the theme of the psalms. Many, many psalms Call us to bless the Lord, to praise Him, to thank Him, to magnify His name. That's what we are called to do. And we might stop for a moment and wonder, how can we bless the Lord? How can we make the Lord greater by our praise? How can we magnify Him and make Him more than He is? Is He going to be shortchanged if somehow we don't bless the Lord? And the answer, I think, of course, is God doesn't need our praise. He doesn't need our blessing. But we do. We need to remind ourselves of how great God is. And we need to remind a watching world of how great God is. We are to, as David says, make our boast, in verse 2, in the Lord. And, And this is an especially apt word for our day and age. Because if there is one thing that characterizes our age, it is people desiring and boasting in themselves. Do you want to know how good an athlete someone is? Don't worry. You don't even have to ask him or her. They will tell you. Do you want to know how brilliant a research scientist or academic someone is? Don't waste a moment. They will fill you in at how great they are. This is the way of our world. It's as if we're almost afraid if we don't blow our own horn, no one will. But that's not the way of the Christian. Because the Christian knows that everything in them that is good comes from God. Are you academically inclined? You've received that from God. Are you physically or athletically talented? Then you have received that from God. Do you have an artistic gift? You've received that from God. Everything that you have comes from the hand of a sovereign God. And so we should be blessing and praising God in the midst of all of our challenges. He is the one who will see us through. He is the great and mighty one. That's the content of our praise. But David goes on and tells us that our praise should also be not only with content, but it should be continuous. Do you see this here in verse 1? I will bless the Lord at all times. Now, the first thing that we think about when we hear those words is that the blessing or praising of God should be on our lips continually. We should always be praising and blessing God. It should be second nature to us, no matter what we're doing. But I want you to notice that this phrase could also be translated in every time, which has a bit of a different meaning. It doesn't just mean that we should be constantly praising God, but we should be praising and blessing God in every circumstance and at every time. David is saying, I will bless the Lord now and not just now. But at all times, in all of my circumstances, I will bless the Lord. And this is important for us, especially in times of trouble, because we are tempted to bless God when things are going well. We praise the Lord we got that promotion. We praise the Lord that we got into the school we wanted to get into. We praise the Lord when we have good health. But then when things aren't so good, blessing is not on our mind god is far from us and in some instances we use our circumstances to complain to and against god why are you doing this god you know i don't want this why can't you bless me why do i have to have this health problem why do i have to have this money shortage why do i have to have these strained relationships why do i have to have these challenges But David tells us that we should constantly be blessing the Lord in all of our circumstances. And and he is not just talking the talk. Because there is a context for David's praising of the Lord as well. Many of you in your Bibles will have what is called a superscription, which is the text above verse 1 of Psalm 34. In my Bible, it's all in caps. And it's not inspired. It's not a part of the inspired text. It is a part of the written tradition to let us know when and by whom this particular psalm was written. And the superscription of our psalm this morning reads as follows. Of David, when he changed his behavior before Abimelech, so that he drove him out and he went away. Now, I want you to understand the context in which David is blessing the Lord and calling upon us to bless the Lord. It's the events of 1 Samuel 21. David had had to flee from Saul because Saul tried to kill him. David was all by himself. He knew that if he stayed in Saul's court, that Saul would eventually put him to death. And so he ran. And he ran away so quickly that he ended up, when he stopped, in Gath. Now that may not mean much to you, but let me give you a piece of information. David ran, and when he stopped running, he looked up and he was in Gath, which was not only a town of the Philistines. It was Goliath's hometown. Now imagine if you are David, the slayer of Goliath. And you just happen to wake up and look up, and you are in his hometown. You can't be in a worse place. You can't go back because the king of Israel wants to kill you. You can't stay there because the people there will want to kill you. You've got no other place to go. What do you do? And if you're David, you bless the Lord. That's what you do. So, When you stop and think about your own circumstances, remember what David is in here. He's alone. He has no food. He has no armor. He has no weaponry. We know this because he fled to the priests and asked them for food. And the only thing he had to defend himself with was the sword of Goliath. He got that from the priest. Imagine that. On your hip is the sword that cut off the head of the Philistine champion who grew up in this town. Those are hard circumstances. There's desperation here. Where does David's hope come from? David's hope comes from the Lord. From blessing him, from praising him, so much so that he calls others to cooperate with him. Look with me at verse 3. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. He's calling others which include you and me christian because god's word is not just written for david's day it's written and preserved for us as well he calls upon us to join him in being united to praise the lord and so when we do that we enter in not only to the praise of our small communion here but of all of the saints and followers of jesus christ throughout all of the world today but not just that We join in with all of the saints who have lived on this earth all of the days prior to this. But not just that. We join in with the angels and the archangels as they stand around the throne and praise the Lord. How can you be discouraged by your circumstances when you stand in the midst of that throng? That's why David calls upon us to praise the Lord. Well, the second thing that David does is he tells us that we are to testify to the Lord or of the Lord. He tells us this in verses 4 through 7. I sought the Lord, verse 4 tells us, and he answered me and delivered me from all my fears. You see, David says he is in the midst of his troubles. Look at verse 6. This poor man cried, the Lord heard him and saved him out of all of his troubles. Now, troubles are the opposite of salvation. Troubles are what you have that you need to be delivered from. They are distress, they are anxiety, they cause fears. And the word here that David uses in verse 4 is a very vivid word. It doesn't just mean things we're mildly afraid of. These are dreadful things horrors. And he deliberately puts them in the plural. It's not just being delivered from his fear, but from his fears. David testifies that he is in trouble because what that means is that he needs God to deliver him. And so what David does next Is he seeks after God in prayer. He's in these troubles. He has these fears. And so he turns to the Lord in prayer. He cries out. Again, verse 6. This poor man cried and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all of his troubles. There is a seeking after God. Verse 4. I sought the Lord. Now, you have to understand what David means here when he says, I sought the Lord. Maybe you have experienced this. You've had one or two occasions where you have been late for church. Now, I know that rarely happens. But especially families with young children. You're getting ready for church and it's inevitable someone can't find a shoe. Usually it's a child. Now I want to warn you, the pastor does not advise coming to church with only one shoe. And so you have to go and you have to find it. And mom and dad will say to the child, you need to find your shoe so we can go. And that child will often do something like this. Can't find it anywhere. And you say, no, that's not what we do. No. If we're going to seek after it, you have to, Go look throughout all the house. You have to look under the couch in case it fell there. You need to lift up the cushion of the couch. You need to go in the back of the closet with a flashlight. You need to actually seek after it. That's what David's describing here about how we are to seek God. We're not to be flippant. We're not to only take halfway measures. We are to seek God because our very lives depend upon it. And we are to cry out to this God. We cry out to him because we know we will be heard. Notice the personal nature of this. I sought the Lord. This poor man cried out. David is reminding us that he is doing this himself. And he's calling upon you to do the same. Because our circumstances do not immediately change. That's why we need to seek the Lord in prayer. Because it's not as if we just hope that they will and God flips a switch and everything gets better. No, we seek our Lord. And He is the one who brings deliverance. He delivered me from all my fears. He saved Him out of all of His troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear Him and delivers them. Now, notice... David doesn't say you'll never have trying circumstances. He says that God will deliver you. That doesn't mean he will deliver you from everything that pains you. It means you're safe in God's arms. I can't think of a better example of this than the one that the Bible gives us. With Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego. And they are about to be tossed into the fiery furnace. Now, that's about as bad a circumstances as you can get. I don't want to belittle anything, but I will take any of your circumstances above those. I'd rather have cancer than be thrown into a fiery furnace. And yet, they looked to the Lord, and they were still thrown into the furnace. But do you remember what the text tells us? There was a fourth person in the furnace. The Lord Jesus Christ. God doesn't promise to keep trouble from you. He promises to be with you in your trouble. And that makes all the difference. God will protect you. And when we know this, it brings joy. Do you see this here? In verse 5, those who look to him are radiant and their faces shall never be ashamed. Now what does that mean? Their faces shall be radiant. They will look radiant. Does that mean that they've got the best brand of CoverGirl makeup on? Or is that like when young people are camping and they take a flashlight and put it under their chin and their whole face glows? No, no, I don't think so. Another use of this word is in Isaiah chapter 60, verse 5. And in that instance, we get what I think David is getting at. This radiance is the look on a mother's face when she finds a lost child. That's what Isaiah says. That is a look of pure joy. That's what David means here. That when we know the Lord... When we know that we will be delivered, joy just exudes from us. And for that reason, we are unashamed, David tells us. We have nothing to be ashamed of, nothing to worry about, because we know that we are safe in the Lord's hands. That brings us to a third thing that David tells us in verses 8 through 14, that we are to trust in the Lord. And the very first way that we experience this is by experiencing God. Look with me at verse 8. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in Him. Now, tasting something is to discover it by experience. To savor it. To know what it is like and to desire more of it. You know, I don't do this as often as I used to, but one of my guilty pleasures in the past was to watch the food network and you watch this as chefs make these meals and they make these meals and the food amounts are very very tiny i don't understand that i like buffets personally but they make these very tiny meals and they put them in front of the judges and they cut this small piece of the tiny portion and put it in their mouth and they talk about it for about 10 minutes they talk about the texture and they talk about the color and it's savory and it's sweet and it's complementing this. And this amount of salt and the amount of spices and how it was done. and I mean, they just go on and on and on and on. And I want to say to myself, you only took a little tiny bite. How do you know all that? But I think that's a picture for us. Of how we taste and see that the Lord is good. The experience you have of God now is the smallest sliver of what you will have in glory. But it's enough to tell you how great God is. It's enough to make you say, I want more of God. Give me seconds. Give me thirds. Give me tenths. I can never have enough of God. And so we experience God And then the psalmist tells us that we are to fear God. All of this leads us to trust in Him. Look at verse 9. Oh, fear the Lord, you His saints, for those who fear Him have no lack. Now, you've probably heard me say this before, or another preacher somewhere else, that when we are told in the Scriptures to fear God, that doesn't mean we are to hide under our beds. It doesn't mean we are to be scared of God. It means that we are to respect God, that we are to have an awe for God, that we are to see God as having a majesty beyond anything we can comprehend. That's what David's talking about here. He says that when we fear God, we trust and hope in him. We seek refuge with him. And that means that we have no lack. Oh, blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Oh, fear the Lord, you his saints, for those who fear him have no lack. And David gives us a picture here of what that looks like. He actually gives us the opposite. In, in verse 10, he says, The young lions suffer want and hunger, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. Now, a young lion is the perfect example of a self sufficient creature. Now, what do I mean by that? None of you will ever have to be told, go feed the young lions. You don't do that. A young lion decides it's dinner time and he goes and he gets it. He doesn't depend on anyone. He's full of strength and vigor. He's completely independent, dependent on no creature at all. And yet, David says the young lions will lack, but not those who trust the Lord. You don't need to be independent of God, you don't need to be self sufficient. God will provide trust in God. And what that looks like, David says, is obeying God. Look at verse 11. Come, O children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. What is the fear of the Lord? Verse 13. Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. Turn away from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. What it means to trust the Lord. What it means to seek refuge in Him. What it means to fear the Lord is to obey Him. To obey Him in word and in action. To obey Him in the negative, not doing what is wrong in His sight. And in the positive, doing what He has commanded. To obey Him in a wholeness of spirit, seeking peace and pursuing it. Now, why is that trusting in God? Well, think about our actions. When you don't trust the Lord to provide, that's when you say, I think I need to shave a little corner here on my tax return. Just so that there's enough... Money left over. You know, I can't really tell that person the truth because it'll go badly for me. So in this instance, I'm going to have to disobey God and lie. You see, when we don't trust God, we rely on ourselves. And relying on ourselves all too often results in us disobeying God and sinning against Him. And what David says is, believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, you are called to trust God. And that means obeying Him in His Word. Here's a spoiler alert. God knew your circumstances when He wrote His Word. It's not as if He said, you shall not bear false witness, and forgot, oh, that you would have this trouble that would come up. No. God knows all things. Trust Him in all things. The fourth and final thing that we see this morning in verses 15 through 22 is the promise of the Lord. The eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous and His ears toward their cry, David writes. The face of the Lord is against those who do evil to cut off the memory of them from the earth. This is a reminder that God sees us. That He's always looking down. That He's always hearing the cry of His people. There is nowhere that you can go that God will not see you, that God will not hear your pleas. You don't need to hang around the church building all day to be close to God. God sees you in your car driving home. He hears you in your home around the lunch table. He's with you when you're at work or at school. He is never absent from you. He is always seeing you. But more than that, God not only sees us, He knows us. Look again at verse 16. The face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Now, there's an old saying. You can fool some of the people all of the time. And you can fool all of the people some of the time. But you can't fool all of the people all of the time. I'm going to give you a line to add to that. You can fool God none of the time. God is never fooled by our errors or what we do. God knows we are weak. He knows we need Him. He knows we are brokenhearted. Look again, verse 18. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted. And He saves the crushed in spirit. Remember that when Jesus went to bring the gospel, it was not only to bring the good news to the poor, it was to bind up the brokenhearted. The Lord is the solution for your broken heart, for your challenges, for your troubles, and your fears. If you feel crushed by life, if you are hurting The best place for you to run, the only place for you to run, is to Jesus. And that's because God is for us. He not only sees us, He not only knows us, He is for us. He knows we have hard times. And in Jesus Christ, He is actually with us. He is God with us. The incarnation brought God to earth. Jesus experienced trouble in this world. He was sinned against. He experienced the effects of a sin-cursed world. Think about the death of Lazarus. Do you remember how Jesus responded to the death of Lazarus? It's the shortest verse in all of the Bible. So you can start today your Bible memorization plan. Jesus wept. Well, we've all got that memorized now, right? Jesus wept. But think about the depth of what's involved in that short verse. Jesus knew that death was not supposed to be. It was not how creation was begun. It was not how creation was destined to be. And he was going to redeem the world from death. He was going... To change our world, our circumstances, and us forever. God is for us. And in being for us, God redeems us. There is a a promise of redemption here. The ultimate questions of life are set forth in verse 21. Affliction will slay the wicked. And those who hate the righteous will be condemned. Verse 22, the Lord redeems the life of His servants. None of those who take refuge in Him will be condemned. That's all of life. God redeems His people. And when He does, there is no condemnation for those who take refuge in Him. I'd like to think that when the Apostle Paul penned Romans 8, that wonderful golden chain of salvation that we know so well, that his Bible was open to Psalm 34. And he was thinking about this. Because David is very certain about this. He says, none of those who take refuge in him will be condemned. And there are several ways to express a negative in Hebrew. There's like, nah, no, no way. This is the strongest way to say no in the Hebrew language. It's actually the word that starts each of the Ten Commandments. You shall not murder. You shall not bear false witness. What David is saying is, you will not be condemned. No exceptions. No explanations. Those who trust in the Lord and take refuge in Him will not be condemned. Well, there is a difference between those who trust in the Lord and those who don't. Those who trust in the Lord experience redemption and refuge, not condemnation. Do you hear David telling you that today? Have you put your hope and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ Are you certain that there is no condemnation for you in Christ Jesus? Because if you have not, then I call upon you this morning to trust Jesus Christ. You may think you have control over your circumstances, but you do not. And the past two years have taught us the vanity of thinking we are in control. Trust not in yourself or your wisdom, or your skill. Trust in the Lord. He is the saint's true refuge. Let's pray.